Sorry, just needed a quick sip of water after that. <clears throat> So, hello. Um, great to get to share with you this Palm Sunday. It's a significant date in the life of the church because it marks the beginning of Holy Week, which means we're leading up to Easter. So we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 19 together, um, verses 28 to 40. So can I encourage you that, um, to get your Bibles out if you've got them with you, maybe an app on your phone, or if you'd like one of the church Bibles, maybe um, you could indicate and raise your hand and I'm sure there'll be someone from the host team that will be able to bring you one. But as you do that, I want to ask you, if I was to invite you to come over to our house tomorrow, what kinds of things do you think might make you feel welcome? Maybe starting by saying hello and greeting you. That might be a good start, mightn't it? Hello, welcome to our house. Maybe taking your jacket, would that help you to feel welcome in our home? Um, this one's a bit controversial. Shoes. I know. Hands up if you're a shoes off at the door, please, kind of household. Hands up. I can see a few tentative. Boldly, this is our shoe decision in our household. Have a look around. Solidarity. You're in the same boat. Okay, and, and who here is a um, shoes are fine downstairs kind of household? That is us. Yeah, yeah. Again, look around. Solidarity. Really interesting. Um, what about offering you a drink? Tea, coffee? Maybe that might help you to feel welcome. I don't know about whether this rings any bells for you guys, but when I was growing up, you knew someone was coming when the good biscuits came out, the special tin that was a bit red and I don't know, just a memory I have, the good biscuits. There's quite a few ways in which we make others feel welcome, aren't there? Um, but we're looking at a different kind of welcome this evening. Um, it's the moment when Jesus is welcomed into Jerusalem. And it really was quite the welcome. So let's read that passage that you hopefully managed to get up, get open. Um, it was Luke 19, chapters 28 to 40. Um, just to say, this comes right at the end, or towards the end of Jesus's ministry, but it's sort of more towards the middle of the book of Luke because he's got a lot more left to say. Um, and as we read it together, let's try and read it in the sense of what um, guidance, what challenge, what food for our own journeys with Jesus can we gain from it? So Luke 19 then, verse 28. After Jesus had said this, I think we should stop there already, don't you? What had he said? So Jesus had been talking to a man called Zacchaeus who was really wealthy and he'd been teaching all about the kingdom of God and using parables as well. Let's carry on. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying, go to the village ahead of you. And as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which was like a young male donkey, usually under four years old, which no one has ever written, ridden. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. 
And as they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones would cry out. So this was a really big moment for Jesus. Jerusalem is significant. It's there in Jerusalem that Jesus is betrayed and put on trial and ultimately executed. And this is the point of him entering the city. And as he's coming, we see this massive reaction from the crowd, don't we? People throwing down their coats as a sign of honour to Jesus. People literally shouting praise. Blessed is the king. Glory in the highest. He's identified as Lord and King and welcomed with joy. Now, I've got to be honest... That's probably not the kind of welcome you'd get if you came to our house. I'm sure you wouldn't be expecting it because you know that you're not the Lord and King, but still, I probably wouldn't throw down my cloak in front of you. I'm not sure I have a cloak, Um, but um, this is quite a different kind of welcome, isn't it? This is a special fulfilling of purposes kind of welcome. This is an acknowledging his kingship kind of welcome. And it's a drawing the frustrations and judgments of others kind of welcome. So as today marks the start of Holy Week, the week leading up to Easter Day, I thought we could do a few things together to get ready. Okay, so the first thing I'd love you to do is to try and remember that point in which you first welcomed Jesus into your life. Maybe you're sitting here and you haven't done that. Well, I'm really glad that you're here. Jesus doesn't force his way into our lives. He won't do that with you. But he will stand at the door of your heart and knock and wait to be welcomed in. But if you are a Christian, I'd love you to remember what those first moments or that first point in which you welcomed God into your life was like for you. For some people, it's quite an instant, sudden revelation. And for some people, it's a slower, gentler journey. And I know I'm a bit of a classic youth worker to talk about this, but these key moments in your faith journey, they are so important to remember In the book of Revelation, which is right at the end of the New Testament, it warns us about not forgetting those first loving moments with Jesus. And as we read about the welcome that Jesus received when he comes into Jerusalem, 
Let's remember our first welcome to him too at the beginning of Holy Week. But I do think we need to go a bit further with this. Past that first welcome of Jesus into our lives and look at how we welcome him more into our lives. The series that we've just finished just last week was called Framework for Freedom. And for the most part, it was inspired by a book called God in My Everything by Ken Shigematsu. And there's actually copies over there on the um, welcome desk if you were interested. Um, And if you missed some of that, can I encourage you to catch up on the podcast? It's really easy to do that. There were some wonderful tools there to help us to prioritize God in our everyday and to having those patterns of being really intentional with our time. And again, if you don't know Jesus personally yet, you haven't welcomed him in before, then stay alert. Keep listening because the presence of God is here with you now. And this Jesus that we're reading about that draws the crowd to shout praises and revere him as he entered is the same Jesus that knocks gently at the door of your heart. So let's remember those frameworks to sustain our lives and welcome God more into our lives and into more of our lives. But I think we also need to take this even further still because multiple times in scripture, we are taught about an ongoing commitment, aren't we? Of choosing to daily pick up our cross and follow God. Jesus says this in Luke chapter nine, which is just 10 chapters earlier than where we're reading today. Choosing his will, his purposes for our lives and not our own. Trusting that he is loving that he is good, and this is the sacrificial life that we're called to as his disciples. Because the life of a disciple is a sacrificial one. It's your will be done, Lord and King, not mine. Your way, not mine, even when it's hard. I'm going to be really open with you now and tell you about a recent commitment It's already giving me away, isn't it? A recent commitment that I made, very recently, in fact, currently, um, and I should say maybe tried to make. Picture the scene. It's the weekend before Pancake Day, and my husband Mark and I are at the lunch table explaining what Pancake Day meant to our five and six-year-old, telling them about the start of Lent and how people often give something up or take something on, that it has to be difficult, not just an easy thing, because Reuben suggested we give up onions for Lent. And that's when my daughter, Evelyn, stood up from her chair, in fact, stood on her chair and shouted, Chocolate! very seriously. Now, I had to fight with myself about whether I told her off right in that moment for standing on her chair in the middle of lunch, or just burst out laughing at the serious face that she had declaring the word chocolate at the lunch table. But of course, she was saying that she thought that she should give up chocolate for Lent. And then she looked at me and she said, you like chocolate too, mummy. (laughs) Yes, thank you, dear. I do, I do like chocolate. 
And at that moment, it was decided that the whole family would give up chocolate for Lent. The kids were very excited about it. Um, and Mark and I were there across the table thinking, what, we, how do we get, what are we doing? How do we get out of this? What have we just signed ourselves up for? You see, a commitment is what Evelyn and Reuben, my two children, have done this Lent. They have not tried to break their chocolate fast once. I know. I don't quite know how, where they get it from, but they didn't. Um, and I did really well for about a week. And <laughs> I have to admit, ever since then, I've been sneakily eating chocolate. I did not commit to this fast. I did not follow through. I definitely slipped. Why am I telling you this? Well, when we look at the welcome that Jesus received as he entered Jerusalem, People stopped what they were doing, didn't they? They came and gathered around him. It was noisy. People were shouting, welcoming him and spreading their jackets on the ground, calling him blessed. But if we fast forward to Good Friday, there's quite a different noise in the crowd. In fact, crucify him is the loudest chant that can be heard by the crowd on Good Friday. We can so easily start off one way, but when the path hits a wave, when it reaches the grain in the wood and it's harder to keep going, it's so much easier to fall in line with what everybody else is doing. So we can and we should work on being intentional with our time and having the right frameworks in place. But I think this commitment part comes when standing firm in God's way is difficult. And as we begin this holy week, the week when we remember Jesus going to the cross and choosing his love for us, and our redemption over his own suffering and death, this is what I want us to consider this evening. When we hit that wave, when following Jesus is countercultural, when it makes us stand out, draws attention to ourselves, or it needs us to speak up against injustice, will we choose him? I reckon that this can look different for each of us. But an example for me would be when I'm with my old group of college friends. It's so much easier to change my language back to fit theirs. To choose to gossip, but not just gossip. I think to actually revel in the misfortunes of others. To take banter that little bit too far and use it as a way of manipulating people, putting them in their place, to actually be in one constant power play of conversation when so much of what's being said is actually hidden behind jokes and quirks. It's far too easy. And not to do that really stands out. Trying to choose to be loving with my words, to not use banter as an excuse to tear others down, that's against the grain in that situation. That really takes commitment. Maybe you can relate to that, or you know situations where it's like that. Or maybe for you, it's something different. 
Another area could be how you choose to dress. It's really easy in our culture to over-sexualize our bodies. Or maybe it's the way you look at how other people dress. Same issue. This is the God-centered life that we're talking about, his way, navigating our decisions, our choices, what we choose to indulge in or don't, the way we spend our money, everything. Committing means navigating our whole life around God. One of the awesome young people that comes to the well, our youth drop-in, has been teaching me about slacklining. Have you heard of this? Slacklining. Okay, so they got one for Christmas and they set it up in their garden. And it's basically tying a metal wire from one point to another raised off the ground. Okay, so their one is raised about a foot and they walk on it and balance and turn and they do some quite amazing stuff. And it's really hard, even just a foot above the ground. Um, But one of the... Sorry, I've lost my place. Um... But then they told me about this kind in the picture, this kind of slacklining. Now, this is no harness, no rope, no net, nothing to catch you. And you tie one end of the wire from somewhere and the other end somewhere else that's really high up. You can see in the picture, there is nothing to hold that person And what I found amazing about when they were telling me about slacklining was this idea of being all in. I learned that you do not step out onto that line if you do not have complete confidence that that line will hold you. And you are completely committed to going to the other side. A net or anything like that is a lack of commitment. You need to be committed to getting out on that line and getting to the other side. Now, I'm not advocating us all doing this. In fact, just looking at the picture actually gives me a bit of vertigo. I find it really difficult. But I think it's an amazing analogy for a God-centered life. It's that stepping out onto the line with confidence that God will hold us. It's I'm doing it. I'm walking this line. I'm not holding on to a damaging habit or fiddling the expenses or joining in with talking badly about others. I'm all in. I am committed to following this path with Jesus. And we don't need um, a net or a harness to walk with God because he is one that can be followed. He is a secure path. And the Holy Spirit will help us if our foot slips. He'll correct us and he'll guide us. He is so good. So let's return to the passage as I close. And remember that the crowd are shouting praise. I'll go from verse 20, sorry. I'll go from verse um, 30, no, yeah, 39. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. What do the Pharisees say? Tell them to be quiet. Stop them, quiet them down. As you welcome God more into your life, there will be those that want you to stop. 
that want to quieten you down, especially at your point of commitment when it's really hard to keep following that path because it goes against the grain and against the crowd. There'll be those that cannot understand why you would choose God's way to navigate sex and relationships. rather than having a self-serving, worldly approach of doing what you want, when you want, with who you want. There will be those that cannot understand why you choose to love others as God does, even when they act in ways that don't deserve it. The world may try to change your mind about your commitment to walk that line. And this is where our commitment really matters. Because just like those Pharisees, we will find those who want us to be quiet about the love that God has shown us through Jesus and what he did on Easter. About the full life that following him offers. But Jesus, who rode into Jerusalem on that first Palm Sunday, is deserving of glory all the time, even when it's hard or uncomfortable. All in. Amen.